ah, I love that song. So that's Psalm 46, if you're unfamiliar with that. And uh, the, the lyrics just so perfectly mirror uh, what you see in Psalm 46. So thank you, Josh. Thank you, Matt, for leading us in that. And, and that, that's something that we consistently point to. If you've been with us at any amount of time at all, as we constantly talk about the importance of reading the Psalms, and, and I'm constantly trying to encourage each of you to regularly engage your heart and your mind with the words of the Psalms. And, and I think it's a very important practice because the Psalms go well beyond exposition. They go well beyond uh, study and research, and they connect with us on a very human level. And, and in that connection, I feel like they, they paint a really powerful picture of what it means to have a relationship with Christ, and what it means to have a relationship with God. And, and you think about it, it you, you look at the Psalms and you get a true picture of what it looks like to lament and to mourn. Or you get a tremendous picture of what it looks like to give thanks and to have joy. And so as we've just had Psalm 46 sung over us, it takes us back to one of the central promises of the scripture that so perfectly complements what we've been talking about with Psalm 145, which is this promise that God is with us. Man, the Lord of hosts is with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm. What a beautiful promise for us to celebrate this morning. And, and as we prepare to celebrate that promise by studying Psalm 145, I also want us to, to open with a bit of a focused prayer this morning and, and really kind of give consideration to what's going to transpire here in the next few days. Many of you are aware that we're going to be celebrating our nation's independence on uh, Thursday, I guess it is, right? Fourth of July is just right around the corner. And uh, it's a time where we obviously need to come in and be grateful for the freedoms that we've been given, uh, the sacrifices that have secured those freedoms, and never take those things for granted, but, but also to, to remember as a body of believers, it's a time to pray for our nation and to pray this, this particular promise, Lord, be with us, right? be with our nation. And yet if we prepare to do that and to honor um, that as believers, then I would encourage you to have the right spirit and the right mindset as we head into this week, right? That, that when you think about all that our nation faces and what it means for us to have a faithful presence in this society, our prayers and our hope is not that we would have a nation that is made great, but that God would be made great in our nation. And that's a totally different prayer, right? Because it's not about our prosperity. It's not about our safety. It's not about our security. It's about us pointing to the greatness of our God and our King. And that's what we desire. And that's how we want to pray and celebrate this time. And so let us just go to the word, or to go to the Lord in prayer for a moment as we prepare to open up his word and give thanks for what he is doing in our hearts and in this nation. Let's pray together. Father, we do uh, come before you and celebrate this promise that you are with us. And I know that there are many here today that are walking through the fire, that are enduring the storms. And yet, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them and remind them of your faithful presence. And God, that as we see that own uh, those, those promises uh, manifest in our own lives, God, that we would also extend that as a devotion and as a desire for our nation. God, we are grateful um, to, to live in such a, a wonderful place of freedom. We're grateful for the many sacrifices that have gone before us to secure that freedom. And we pray that we would steward it well, that as the body of Christ, God, we would not seek um, a level of prosperity or seek a level of power or influence, God, but that we would do everything we can to point others within this nation to know and to see that you are good and to see your greatness and to see this same promise that carries us through all seasons, that you are with us. And so as we head into this week, God, may we carry that mindset appropriately as we seek to honor you. We now ask, God, that you would bless 
us with your presence, with your spirit, that you would open up your word to our hearts and our minds and encourage us and affirm us today with your promises. We pray this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so as we begin today with, with July literally around the corner, I do need to take a moment and, and tell you a little bit about what that change of season means for us as we wrap up a series today and kind of begin a new season next week. Uh, many of you are aware of this already. It's been mentioned in the worship guide for the last several weeks, but maybe uh, not all of you have heard it yet. And so let me just d- discuss this publicly for a moment. Uh, but July, I'm going to be on sabbatical for that month. And so uh, if you're sitting there going, what's a sabbatical? It means rest. And I'm greatly looking forward to it. it really what that equates to for, for our church is that uh, they, the, the par- personnel committee allows for every periodical season, every four years or so, for the pastor to take a study leave, more or less, is kind of what it equates to. And so I won't be here in the office. I won't be here on Sundays. I will still be working and considering some of the big picture things facing our church, uh, but also resting intentionally. Uh, resting in, in pursuing and in cultivating my own relationship with Christ, uh, time to enrich uh, my time with my family. And, and so it should be a, a very meaningful season for us. And so what that means is this is the last Sunday you'll get to hear from me for a while. And as Sherry Barnes was asking me earlier, what does that mean for us? And I said, well, that means I'm going to go extra long today. So just buckle up, all right? Because this is my last chance for a while. I'm going to cram all those four Sundays. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. But, but we will um, really have a meaningful time. A few things I want to talk to you about the month of July in particular. First, thank you. Um, I'm truly grateful for this opportunity. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that creates space for this. Um, and, and I'll tell you, it's needed. You know, ministry is, is, is such an un- unpredictable pace. And, and I've been in full-time ministry for more than 10 years, and I've never had this opportunity and with all the seasons of adjustments that my family have gone through recently, uh, we, we need it and we de- uh, deeply appreciate it. And so I want you to know we're grateful and I also want you to know we're going to steward it well. And, and we're going to make much of this time and, and let God use it in a way to help strengthen us as a body of Christ as well. So, so first of all, thank you. Secondly, I hope it serves as a model and an example for you. Uh, that this is something you should do in your life as well. Don't take July off. We still want you here, right? You keep coming. But in your own life, carve out time for intentional rest. It's so easy to fall victim and to be shackled to the culture of now and busyness. And, and God has created us to have intentional seasons of rest. And so please pursue that in your own life as well. Seek to, to grow in your own relationship, to enrich your family, enrich an understanding of, of what God's calling you to do. And, and then finally, just logistically, what is that going to look like here? I'm actually excited about it because I do believe it will continue to help cultivate the culture that we want for this church. I, I say it all the time, said it as recently as last week, this is not my stage, never will be. This is not my church. This is God's church. This is his word. And, and so my absence allows us to really live into what does it look like to be the body of Christ, right, that is made up of many parts and many different giftings. My, my absence allows me to refine and cultivate other skills and tools that I need to, to pastor well, but it also makes space for other people that are just as gifted to teach and to encourage and to admonish you to have an t- opportunity to do so. And so uh, you're going to hear some, from some really gifted people over the next few weeks, and so I want you to come ready and expectant. I want you to pray for them. I want you to affirm them as they seek to encourage and affirm you. And so it'll be a really meaningful time for our church over the next few weeks. Now, uh, as, as we anticipate all of that, let's first wrap up this series that we've been walking through the month of, of June. We really dedicated the month of June to be a month of praise. 
That was kind of the theme that we established. And, and we kicked that theme off with celebrating our 90th anniversary, the first Sunday of the month. And it was a great way to celebrate and give praise to God for what he's done in this church and what he is doing in this church. And then once we celebrated our 90th anniversary, we went into Psalm 145. And, and we kind of committed to say, all right, well, how do we get a greater understanding of praise through these different perspectives? What does it look like to praise God from all generations? When we read verses that says one generation commends your work to another, how do we do that? How do we practice that? How do we cultivate that? And then we transitioned into the next week, praise from all of his works. And we really focused in on this understanding of kingdom. And we talked about how kingdom is really about understanding that God has restored a land and restored a people and restored a king through the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we see his kingdom, we see all his works giving him praise. Last week, we deviated slightly out of Psalm 145 as Lydia Whitley came to talk about what was going on in her family, and she encouraged us with Psalm 67, reminded us that God is a a God of the nations and that praise will come from all peoples. And what does it mean for us to pray that way and to pursue those things? And so we've been walking through this theme, and today we're going to finish that off to, to consider what does it look like for us to praise God from all seasons? And I really look forward to this discussion. But before we get to it, let me give you an illustration today that, to me, not only sets the tone for Psalm 145 in this last few uh, verses that we're going to go through, but really for the series as a whole. Uh, Many of you know that in January, my family uh, welcomed our youngest son into our home, little David Wu Smith, who we adopted from China. And, And it has been such an incredible what, four or five months, whatever it's been at this point. And, and a lot of times people will come up and ask me, well, how are things going? And, and I almost feel apologetic at times that I don't have more stories of challenge or difficulty. It, it has truly been one of the more seamless and, and natural transitions that I could have ever imagined and anticipated. And, and really what I end up telling people is that he's just enriched our home. He has enriched our lives in so many different ways. I, I love seeing how Jennifer's growing as a mom, how, how James and Annabelle are growing as older siblings, and then just love watching Wu and, and, and David develop, right? We call him all different names, right? We, and, and watching him grow as a person as well. And, and so let me just give you a snapshot, just, just one example of how he has enriched our home. And so uh, we make it a priority to eat dinner together. That's, that's something we always strive for. Don't always succeed at that, but that is a, an important value for us to always be around the dinner table together. And so when you try to get dinner ready with three kids in the home, that's challenging, especially with a two-year-old that's hungry, because two-year-olds that are hungry like to be held and like to, to get food placed in their mouth immediately. And so it's not uncommon for us to go ahead and take Wu and sit him in his seat um, and get him there and put some food on his tray while we finish preparing the rest of the dinner. And so we'll get the rest of the dinner made, and then we get the table set, and then the, the, the other four of us will take our seats. And what we noticed about a month and a half ago is that as we would take our seats, we would assume the same position every single time. He'd start doing this. And yeah, right? I know. We were like, oh, he knows we pray. That's awesome, okay? And, and that was encouraging in and of itself, but what was really neat about it was how he reacted after the prayer. So we, he would do this, and we're like, okay, that's right, we're going to pray. And we'd go through our standard prayer, Father, thank you for this food, please be with those that are hungry, watch over our family, you know, so on and so forth. And then we'd get to the end and we'd say, in Jesus' name, amen. And every single time when he hears us say, in Jesus' name, amen, he leans back, puts a huge smile on his face and goes, yay, and just celebrates. 
And at first I thought, well, maybe he's celebrating because, you know, my prayers are kind of long and he's just ready that it's over or it's chow time and now I get to eat, right? That's kind of what I thought. But we saw quickly it's genuinely connected to praying because we would, we would pray and then we'd start eating our dinner. We'd get like seven bites into it and we'd look over and he'd be like, let's do it again. And he'd just be, you know, have his hands clutched and we'd say another prayer and he'd go, yay, and just celebrate. He does it when I put him down at night. I'll sing a song over him, and then after I finish singing, I'll say a little prayer, and even when he's tired, it's not quite as demonstrative, but he'll go, yay, and just celebrate. And so now the whole family follows suit. It's hilarious. Like, we all get together, and we're like, all right, y'all, it's time to pray. And when we finish, the whole family is just like, yeah, Jesus. It's a little awkward when we're out in public, but we do it. And it's so cool. And here's what I love about it is the example that it's set for us. Because I know he's two, right? I get that. But there's an innocence to it, right? That it doesn't matter what kind of day he's had. Could be a bad day. He could be tired. He could be fussy. He could be hungry. But he's still joyful. He still gives praise. And his commitment to do that, no matter what he has faced, has inspired us. And so now we're following his lead. We're following his example. He's enriched us with that spirit of praise. What a beautiful picture of praise. That's the whole goal of this series, right? That that all of us can learn that no matter the circumstance, no matter the season, no matter what we're going through, we have a reason to celebrate who God is and what he has done. And in our commitment to praising him, it should inspire others and they should follow suit. And that's going to be a huge part of what we see today in Psalm 145. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, and we're going to finish off the last section of this psalm. We're going to pick up, in particular, in verse 13. Now, we we kind of looked at the first half of verse 13 in, in our previous discussion in Psalm 145, so we're going to pick up in the second half of verse 13 and read through the end today. The text reads, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I love this psalm. So when I first read these concluding verses, what struck out to me was this this idea almost that the psalmist is taking us through different seasons and showing us how we can still give praise. And so that's really what I want to do today is walk through these last few verses, verse by verse, and point out at least five different seasons that I believe the psalmist is drawing to our attention and demonstrating how we can continue to give praise. Now, the the end of verse 13 kind of lays the foundation, right? The, The Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises, faithful in all that he does. And this has been the theme for us this entire year, to to build our lives upon God's promises, right? To understand when when we truly trust God for who he is. And believe that he will do what he says he will do, how radically that transforms our life. And and that really serves as the foundation for praise. And so it's it's built upon that foundation. And that's something we have to all acknowledge is that we have to have that trust and understand God's faithfulness. And that's part of what we've been trying to constantly point out throughout this year. And so when we truly build our lives on that, what does that look like? Well, that enables us to praise God from all seasons. And so let's walk through these different seasons and see how we can demonstrate praise. Let's, let's start in verse 14. 
The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. This is a season of difficulty. This is what I would describe for verse 14. And the reason I classify it as a season of difficulty is because of the words fall and bowed down. So you look at the word fall, and and it actually even more literally means to be out of control. It's that sort of chaos. So when we think about difficulty in our life, there are definitely seasons that we can point to where we we look back and realize we're kind of the cause for our own problems. Right, poor choices that we that we made, mistakes that we did, uh, you know, consequences that we're suffering as a result of those things. We say, yes, this is difficult, but it's it's by my own doing. But then there are seasons where it feels like things are beyond our control, and things just seem to happen to us, and we can't seem to get reprieve. We can't seem to get any sort of relief from it. This is the sort of season that equates to that tragic news in a doctor's office, right, or the phone call in the middle of the night or the unexpected tragedy that we have to deal with, or those seasons where we're constantly praying, Lord, please relieve me of this, and we get no relief. Difficulty. And it's complemented with bowed down. Now, bowed down can also mean worship and reverence. But in this context, I think it means something slightly different, because when you study this word, it also carries this this idea of stress, anxiety, and worry. Right, that I, I've bowed down because I'm distressed, I'm, I'm worried, I'm anxious. And that makes sense to me because of how it's used in this context that God is going to lift you up. Right? He's going to restore you out of a particular season. And so this calls to our attention again how it is that we're supposed to embrace these seasons of worry and anxiety. This is something the Scripture constantly teaches us on. And so one of the things we need to always remember is that it's not that we should rid our lives of worry and anxiety, that it's going to be there. It's more of a question of how do we handle it. And and the real goal is to make sure that we know how to foster it in a healthy way so that anxiety and worry doesn't control us, right? When, When our lives are controlled by anxiety and worry, that's where things become unhealthy. Think about the story of Jesus calming the storm. You remember that story, right? He's on the boat with his disciples. They're going to cross the other side of the waters and in the middle of doing so, this storm emerges. And it's, it's more than just rains and wind, right? It threatens their very lives. And so naturally, the disciples are filled with anxiety and worry. And so they're, they're, they're fearing for their life and they look over and what's Jesus doing? Sleeping. It's like the opposite of worry. Okay, and so they rush over to him and they, and they wake him up and they say, teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? And so Jesus stands up and says, be quiet. And the winds and the waves are calmed. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? It's a, it's a fascinating story that teaches us a lot about worry and anxiety. Here's, here's the issue. When our lives are controlled by worry and anxiety, it feels like life is a constant storm. Right? We never see the blue skies. We never see the calm waters, and that's no way to live. Everything is a storm when we let worry and anxiety control us. And the reason we let it control us is the second issue here. When it controls us, it means we've lost sight of the power and the purpose of Christ. Right? That's what had happened with the disciples. Right? They had lost sight of or didn't fully understand the power that Christ contained and the purpose that he was carrying. Right? And so they were fearful for their own lives. And Jesus is looking at them going, don't you understand, I'm greater than this storm and my purpose is greater than this moment? Right? And so when we let our lives be controlled 
by anxiety and worry, a lot of times it's because we've lost sight of the fact that God is more powerful than any storm that we can face and his purpose is greater than any storm we can face. But yet that's often the season we find ourselves in, these seasons of difficulty, filled where we're out of control, feelings like we're out of control, and moments where we're consumed by distress and worry and anxiety. And so the psalmist reminds us, in those seasons, what does God do? He upholds you. He lifts you up. The word uphold means sustain. Right? He carries you through. He walks you through the valley. To lift up means actually to restore honor. I love that image. And so I was trying to think of a way to, to kind of describe that for us today and, and try to grab a hold of what that looks like. And, and I kept coming back to the image of family. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with my extended family recently. Uh, we just got back from a trip up to Oklahoma to see Jennifer's family, and that's where they are today. It's why I'm, I'm still here by myself. But, but Jennifer and I often come out of these experiences with our families, and we feel very grateful um, because both of us have tremendous families that, that we just feel very fortunate to be a part of. And, and part of what we've been able to see through the course of our lives is that a family, a healthy family, is like a net that catches you when you fall. Right? They're there to, to hold you. Right? They can't necessarily make all the problems go away. They, they can't always solve those issues. But they can help you find stability in seasons of instability. Right? They can carry you through. And they, they help sustain you. They, they bring honor to you. Right? They help speak truth into your life and say, listen, this, this trial, this circumstance, this is not what defines you. This is who you are. And you find honor instead of shame. That's what a healthy family does. Now, I fully recognize that many of us here today don't have that sort of experience with family. But the beauty of the gospel is that it teaches us, regardless of our earthly experience with family, we have been invited into God's family where we find brothers and sisters and see him as a father where, again, he catches us when we fall. He sustains us. He gives us honor, not shame. He says, this is what defines you. You are my child. And so let me ask you this morning, are you in a season of difficulty? A season where you feel out of control or overwhelmed with stress and anxiety? Hear me, yes, even there, don't forget that God upholds you and he lifts you, and as a result, he is most worthy of praise. Let's consider these additional seasons. If we read to the next few verses, verses 15 and 16, the scripture says, The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. This to me is the season of need. Okay? And, and I classify it as that way because of the imagery of food. This is a consistent use and image that we find in the scriptures of food that speaks to how God is a God of provision and how he meets our needs. Jesus teaches this regularly. We think about the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Mankind does not live on bread alone, but on the words of God. Do not worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear, for all these things will be given to you. Seek first his kingdom. Over and over again, we see the imagery of food that speaks to how God meets our needs and provides. And so that's, that's part of what we see here. So let me actually introduce this season by asking you a question. What would you say is your greatest need right now? Not your greatest want, your greatest need. Is it peace? Is it comfort? Justice? Forgiveness? Reconciliation? Purpose? What is it? What is your greatest need? 
Have you even stopped and thought about that? And once you identify it, the, the greater question that this passage really points us to is, well, then where are you looking to find those needs met? To who or to what? See, what this tells us is that all those whose eyes look to you. Right? What that word look means is not just to, to see, but to have hope. It, it speaks to this idea of dependency, of trust, of believing this is where I'm going to find these needs being met. And, and the truth is, is that if you're like me, we can come into church and we can say we look to God to meet our needs, but we might live a very different way. And a lot of times where we're looking is to other people and other things to meet those needs, right? We, we expect our spouse to meet our needs, right? That they need to, to make everything better for us. We look for our children to, to find our worth or to our, our parents to give us provision. Or, or maybe we just look to other things in society, right? We put our hope in, in politics and in a nation. We put our hopes in careers and success. We look to all these other things to meet our needs. And what the scripture says is, no, you have to look to him and to only him. And so where are you looking? Where are you actually seeking that hope and that provision? Now, in addition to that, what we begin to do is when we turn our eyes upon Jesus and we look full at his wonderful face, what happens? The things of earth grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And that's what the psalmist points us to as we look to him and what do we see? We see that he meets our needs. He opens his hand and he satisfies the desire of every living thing. He gives us our food at the proper time. I think that's probably the hardest part of going through a season of need, is not only do we recognize we need something, but we need it now. And we want it fulfilled in our moment, and our time, on our schedule. And what the scripture says is, well, he'll meet your need at the proper time. Now, why is that? I think what we need to learn from that is to remember that we are not the hero of this story. God is. And his purposes are greater than our needs. So he feeds us and provides to us when he's ready and when we're ready. Sometimes we have to walk through seasons so that he can refine us and shape us and mold us to better fulfill his purposes. We see that exemplified over and over again in the scriptures. So he feeds us at the proper time. We have to trust in that time, but when we see it provided, we see that he opens his hand and he satisfies the desires of every living thing. And I love that imagery. Uh, John Goldengay is an Old Testament professor and one that I was researching in preparation for this message. And he said, you know, when you think about an open hand, it's like a shepherd feeding a, ship, a sheep. He doesn't hold back. He, he doesn't withhold. No, when God feeds us, he does so with abundance, not out of scarcity. He's opening his hand and saying, eat until you are satisfied. Eat until you've had your fill. And I love that image. Right? We see that over and over and over again. That God is not here just to sustain us, but to give us abundant life. Life to the full. You read through Ephesians and it's the language of lavish. It's the language of riches. It's the language of abundance. Over and over again, we see that that's how God provides and so he gives us this abundant life. And satisfaction literally means to be content as a result of this abundance and excess. And so one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, am I truly content? Am I content with the way that God has provided and met my needs? And that becomes a true measure of us really trusting the way in which he provides. Right? He opens his hand and he satisfies the desires of every living thing. This is where it gets tricky. Desires. 
Because it would be very easy to take this verse and hijack it, and many preachers do. And they run into this prosperity message. Health, wealth, abundance. Just believe hard enough, just pray hard enough, and all your desires can be fulfilled. I have a couple problems with that. Number one, it's not what Scripture teaches. Uh, number two, it's not reality. Right? We live in a season of tremendous affluence, don't we? In this culture, in this time period, we, we have so many things at our disposal. And yet, I'm willing to bet that if I asked you, every single one of you could give a testimony of something that you've gone through in your life that you wanted God to do and he didn't. A desire that you had that went unmet. And so we experience that. And so how do we make sense of a verse that says God's going to satisfy all your desires? Well, the word desire means pleasure. And part of what we're seeing here is that there is this desire for us to find pleasure, to find joy, to find fulfillment. And so what the world is going to do is say, hey, you're going to find that pleasure best over here. And so come seek it this direction, right? Find it in relationships, find it in marriage, find it in sex, find it in money, find it in success and all these different things. This is where you're going to find the greatest experience of pleasure and purpose. And so we run to those things and we find a fleeting moment of satisfaction, but it ultimately leaves us empty. Never satisfies us. And so what the scripture is saying is that you want the fulfillment of how you were created. You want to truly experience the fulfillment of pleasure and truly understanding the deepest element of desire. Put your hope in Christ. He's the only one that can truly satisfy your heart. Him and only him. So he satisfies the desires of every living thing. So let me ask you, church, are you in a season of need? Let me encourage you. The Lord will feed you at the proper time. Look to him, trust in him, and see him open his hand and satisfy those desires. And when you do, you will see that your list of needs grows smaller and smaller and smaller because you will discover Christ is always more than enough. So if you're in that season of need, let me encourage you, even there, our God is worthy of praise. Let's keep going. We've got to move. Verse 17 is a bit of a refrain. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. This is almost a throwback to verse 13. Let's not forget that the source of this praise is understanding God's faithfulness. And then he leads us into more seasons. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. This to me is a season of distance. Those moments where God feels very much afar. <clears throat> and I say it, it's a season of distance because of the word call. Call means to summon. It's this idea that, hey, you're over there. I need you to come here. And, and I don't know about you, but I've definitely gone through seasons where God has felt incredibly distant. Seasons where this relationship that I thought I had all of a sudden grows stale. I read the scriptures and it feels empty. I pray and it feels as if no one is listening. And all of a sudden it feels like I'm following a concept rather than a king. And God feels incredibly distant. So what do we do at those moments? I've said to you before, and I'll say it continually, whenever we face those moments where God feels distance, we're given a choice. We can either press in or run away. We always choose to press in. And so what that looks like is that we call on him in truth. Well, what do we mean by that, calling on him in truth? Well, truth means to have this 
a sincerity about it, this integrity about it. But essentially, if we were to put it in the context of the psalmist, what he's trying to speak to is this, this tendency where you live in a society that has idols and other gods and other deities. What he's saying is, listen, don't come over here and call out to Yahweh and then run over there and call out to Baal. That's not truth. That's not sincerity. And so a lot of times when we're distant and we're feeling lonely and we're feeling isolated, we'll call out to God, but then we'll run to something else. Anything that can hopefully bring that fulfillment. And so he's saying, listen, if you're going to seek me, seek me with your whole heart. Seek me in truth. Call out to me, trusting that I will answer. And that's what we have to do. And again, he'll respond at the proper time. But what, when he does, what are we going to discover? That he is near. And I love that image. Because it's more than just about proximity. Right? It's more than just all of a sudden God's close enough to hear me. A lot of times when God feels distant, it's like we're standing in this, this huge market area and it's just empty and we're crying out and no one's answering. Or, or maybe it feels like there's all this chaos and it's filled with people and we can kind of get a glimpse of God on the other side of the market and we're screaming for him to pay attention, but he's just too far away. And so the nearness that we often desire is about proximity. Right? If he would just be closer, then maybe he would hear my prayers. Maybe then he would respond. But this is, that's just a very shallow understanding of the nearness that is being used here. Nearness here is about relationship. So let me give you another example. Who is it that you call when things go wrong? Right? When, you, when you need help, someone to get you to the hospital, somebody to help you with kids, or somebody to help you with a situation, who are you going to call? Right? Th- those people are close to you. Those are the ones I'm going to walk. Those are the ones that are saying, I'm going to be there no matter what. I'm going to walk with you in this because of that relationship. What you discover when we walk through these seasons of distance is that even though we can't see it in the moment, we'll be able to look back and see that the Lord of hosts was actually with us, with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm. And so, church, are you in a season where God feels distant? Let me encourage you that even there, if you call to him in truth, he is near. And even there, he is worthy of praise. A few more. Verse 19. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. This is a season of desperation. And I call it a season of desperation because of the word cry. Crying for help. That's what it means. To cry for help. And, and I don't know about you, but a lot of times I, I resist the need to call for help, right? Because my default is when I go through some of these seasons, seasons of, of difficulty or of need or of distance, I just put it back on myself. And I say, you know what? Just work harder. You can do this. You can solve this. You can make this right. You can endure this. And, and I carry it all within myself and I refuse to cry for help. And that's not a good place. Right? That limits our understanding of who God is and what he has done. You want to know the most dangerous places to be in life is to be desperate and not realize you're desperate. And how many people are going through life just trying harder, just thinking, I can get through this. And what we really need to do is stop and just cry for help. And so maybe that's you today. Right? Maybe that's exactly what you need is to acknowledge that you're desperate and to admit that weakness. And to admit those shortcomings and to cry out for God because something beautiful happens when we cry for help. What happens? He saves us. And we are reminded of the fact that our God is a God of rescue. 
Right? We go through life and we're consistently reminded of all the broken things of this world, the broken things in our hearts, all these empty, shallow pleasures that never satisfy. But what we see in the hope of this gospel, what we've sung about today is that God in his rich love for us steps into our existence and reveals his love and says, I'm here to rescue you from sin and from death and give you the hope and promise of everlasting life. But you have to cry out for it. You have to acknowledge that you need it and that you're desperate for it. And then something beautiful happens. We have this discussion on desires again, only now it's using the word fulfill. And fulfill here means to make. And so the way I read this verse is how when we truly see the divine rescue of God, God doesn't just satisfy our desires. He begins to shape our desires. He begins to make our desires. And all of a sudden, our hearts break for what breaks His. And our cries for help are no longer limited just to ourselves, but the desperation of the world around us. And we see those who are also in need, and we begin to cry out for help for them because our desires match his desires. And we see the beauty of God's rescue even in the season of desperation. And so again, maybe that's you today. You're desperate. You need help. Let me encourage you, yes, even in seasons of desperation, God is most worthy of praise. Here's the last one. Verse 19 Excuse me, verse 20. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. This I would refer to as a season of judgment. Now, this one's not easy. Right? You read through the list of all these things that God is doing here in these final verses, and you see great words like uphold and lift and satisfy, and then you get to verse 20, and it says destroy. And, and you really just kind of want to gloss over it and pretend like it's not there. We're not going to do that. We have to sit in the reality that there are seasons where we have to come face to face and grow in our understanding of God's judgment. And there's really no way to soften it. You know what destroy means? To annihilate, to get rid of, to eradicate. You can't soften that word. And so we, we read this and it makes us incredibly uncomfortable to think that God would ever do that to anyone. And so we'd rather just pretend like it's not there and skip over verse 20. But it's there. And so how do we grow to understand it? I think one of the reasons we struggle with growing comfortable with words like destroy is because we really don't understand words like wicked. Right? What does wicked mean? Wicked is not just unrighteous. It is everything that is contrary to God's character. Right? So think about how God's character is described in this song. Well, what does it say? He is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, good to all. So you know what wicked is? Unmerciful. Right? The, the absence of compassion. Quick to anger. Rich in hate. Demonstrating evil to all. When you study the practice of wickedness in the scriptures, we see that it is a constant aversion to God, a constant rebellion against God, and a constant hostility towards others that results in violence and bloodshed and death. That's wickedness. And we would not praise God who celebrates and allows wickedness. And so part of what we have to acknowledge is that God is just. And there will be a day where he deals with evil and wickedness. And as uncomfortable as that may be, it's something that helps us understand the fullness of his character, that our God is just. And yet it is, it is complemented with this truth that he does 
watch over those who love him. And so we see that there's always an avenue of mercy beyond this judgment, right? And, and I love that picture. The word watches means to exercise great care over. And so the option is, listen, I'm not asking you to make yourself perfect. I'm not asking you to do everything right. I'm just saying, love me. Follow me. Give me your heart, and I'll give you grace and mercy. And we begin to discover his tremendous care for his people. And so a question you have to ask yourself is, do I truly love him? Do I truly love him? And so when you fall in love with somebody, things change. When I fell in love with Jennifer, my life changed. How I spent my time, my priorities. When I had children, my life changed. Right? My, 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 the way I spent my time, my values, how I viewed the world. When I fell in love with Jesus, my life changed. So it's not enough just to know Sunday school answers and to memorize scripture. We see the manifestation of our love for him when our life truly begins to change. And when we see that, we will begin to experience his tremendous care over each of us. So yes, even in a season of judgment, if that's where you are, wrestling with understanding how God makes sense of right and wrong, good and evil, righteous and unrighteous, let us declare to each other that yes, even there he is most worthy of praise. So let me conclude with verse 21. This ties up the whole psalm and really ties up our series very well. My mouth will speak in the praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. What we have in verse 21 and how the psalmist concludes is a word of commitment and a word of invitation. And I love it. Right? He says, let my mouth offer praise to the Lord. Let my mouth speak in praise. Think about the power of words. How words can tear down or build up. How words reveal your desires, your passions. How they reveal your character, your dreams. Your words are so powerful. What are they revealing? The psalmist gives us an example and says, let us make the commitment that our words, when our mouth speaks, it will speak of the praise of our God and our King. That's our invitation, right? That is our commitment. And, and it's absolutely worthy given everything that we've just seen, right? If we step back and look at the fullness of the forest and get beyond the trees, look at everything that our God does that is described in these final verses. He is trustworthy, faithful, upholds, lifts up, gives, opens his hand, satisfies. He is righteous. He is near. He fulfills. He hears. He saves. He watches. He destroys wickedness. Absolutely let our mouths declare the praise of our God and our King. And so that's the commitment from the psalmist. And that leads to an invitation because when we see this king for who he is, what do we discover, right? That every creature should bring praise to the glory of our God and our king. That's what he deserves. It is not sufficient for just me to give him praise or just you to give him praise or even just for us to give him praise. The picture of heaven, the picture of the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth is every living creature crying out, salvation belongs to our God. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's where we are headed. And so our desire is to take our personal commitments and go to every corner of the globe, go to every season of life, every circumstance, and invite others to see that our God is most worthy of praise. We commit and we lead. We commit and we invite others. A lesson that I've learned 
for my two-year-old son. You know, every night when I put him down, I sing him a song that I sang over my other two children when they were younger and still sing over them at times. And when I hold my son, my youngest son, that third verse of that song carries a new weight and a new perspective. I get to those words that say, through many dangers, toils and snares have already come. Grace has led me safe this far and grace will lead me home. And I think about everything he has seen in just the two short years of his life. All the dangers that he's already overcome. All the snares that he has somehow managed to escape. And all I can say is that it was grace. Grace. And I can't help but believe that part of the reason he is ready to give praise when he hears the words amen is because he realizes that now he's in the arms of a loving father and he has a home. That's our story. We go through the journey of this life. We navigate through these dangers, these toils, these snares, and grace leads us every step of the way. And if we maintain the right perspective, we too will see that we rest comfortably in the arms of a loving Father and He's leading us home. And so, yes, church, let all generations, let all of His works, let all peoples and all seasons give praise to our God and our King. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We're grateful for words that we see in the Psalms that remind us of your faithfulness, that remind us of your promises. And I acknowledge today, Father, that so many of us come in here facing different seasons, different circumstances, and I ask that you would meet them where they are and that you would awaken each of us to a deeper understanding of how you walk with us. God, whether we are standing on the mountaintops of life or we're walking through the valleys, we know that you're with us. We know that you are trustworthy, that you're, you're faithful, that your promises are sure. And so let us sing. Let us declare the goodness of our God and our King. Let us declare that we follow you. Let us commit our mouth to praise and invite all that we meet and all that we see to join in the celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves, redeems, and brings us safely home. For it's in his precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.